Welcome to the Real View Podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first-time homebuyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I am your host, Allison Miley. Joining me today is our special guest, Aaron Chapman. He is a veteran in the finance industry with 25 years of experience helping clients better understand, source, and finance cash flow positive investment properties. He advises more than 100 clients a month in the acquisition and financing of their investment properties and primary residences. And he is ranked in the top 1% of mortgage loan processors in the country with an industry that has hundreds of thousands licensed loan originators. And he closes in excess of 100 transactions per month. So we have an industry veteran, as they mentioned in this intro, joining us on today's show to really dive into this world of real estate investing. So I'm super excited to have him on. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate the intro. That's uh, It's interesting to hear it yourself because you know you don't see a lot of that. You know, you just, hey, I'm in my day-to-day. But now and again, you get reminded that, man, we've done some amazing things over the years. And uh, it's kind of cool to remind yourself that we're affecting a lot of people's lives, especially in the investor world, because investors are they're about the future and the change of their 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 circumstances and we get to affect a lot in that that world. So thank you for the reminder that I just that they just gave me of what we're doing. Of course. And and we deserve to to celebrate our accomplishments and be reminded of them. So very happy I could do that for you today. But Erin, before we get started um, on today's topic in this world of real estate investing, I have to ask our signature question that I ask all of the guests who join me on The Real View. Since the show is called The Real View, I would like to know what is the best view that you have ever seen? It's a very interesting question. What pops into mind first is um, I did rescue for the sheriff's office for 10 years. And I, I did that from 2009 up until just the very, very end of 2009 up until 2018. It was just actually nine years at the end of 18 when I got out of it. I ran their technical rescue unit, which is all your ropes and uh, cliffs and helicopters and that kind of thing. And there was a rescue we had on leap day where a base jumper jumped off the front of the Superstition Mountains in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it was 1,100-foot jump, and he got hung up. And I was the guy who was sent down to get him a 680-foot rappel to get to this guy. And it was actually, you couldn't repel it because we just didn't have enough rope to do that. So they lowered me down so you keep adding rope. And I was in a harness for an hour and a half at night. So when you're hanging from this harness and you're kind of spinning around some of the spots, I couldn't, I wasn't connected to the rock because it's undercut. She was dangling out in space and you're not seeing where you're going, but you can see the landscape of the lights of the city. There's a lot of opportunity you have to have the lights of a city out in front of you, but never in a scenario like that. And so to be able to, to absorb that view was really, really cool. What made the view even better was I got down to the, to the subject of our, of our rescue and I got him tied into my system. I could see lights coming up from the bottom, other other members of our team, and then I could hear voices. My wife was also part of our rescue unit, and she was one of the three people coming up to get to us because we're going to get down, lowered down. We need to medically treat him and get him out. And she was our, our paramedic on site. And so it was really cool to hear my wife coming up and then see her as I was brought down to the bottom and kind of had that little reunion. And then also bring the subject of this extremely intense rescue that had national, actually international coverage 
then help have her help us bandage him up and get him out. That was a view that's uh, nothing has ever been able to pop in my life. That's incredible. And this is why I love this question so much, because I just learned such a cool thing about you. And I don't know that I ever, you know, would have gotten to hear that story um, otherwise. So, wow, that's that's really fascinating and amazing. And now, like, my brain is spinning. I have so many other questions I want to ask you. And um, I appreciate that so much. I actually had a close friend of mine who was hiking on Mount Rainier and had to get rescued. So I know the importance and the value of those individuals and the service that they provide. So grateful to you all. And I know, um, you know, you're probably not too much involved with that anymore, but very, very uh, respectable profession. And um, thank you for for everything that you've done to, to save those hikers and people that need assistance. So very, very cool. Thank you. It's a, it was a great experience. I got a ton out of it because I got to have in my nine-year career, I got more rescues. I mean, I sit down with people who did it for 20, 30 years. And I got more more experiences, more extremely crazy life-threatening experiences than most people I've ever talked to. It was just one of the greatest things I've, I've done. I believe I'm glad that. it's over and that's in my past, but I also would not trade the experiences for anything. Yeah, super cool. Now that's that's awesome. So this kind of leads into why, um, you know, what I wanted to start out the show with was telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got started in this industry and what your career journey has been like. And we heard a little bit of it. So I'm dying to hear more kind of about you and your background um, and what you do now and what's led you to this place. Well, a lot of the question, thank you for asking, people ask me once they get to know me and how we do our business, because I, I work with real estate investors exclusively since 2003, got in the industry in 1997. And people ask me what my education background was, what how I got my, where I got my degree. And I have to tell them, guys, I cheated my ass off to get that C in high school. <laughs> if, if it wasn't for the fact I could pick a lock, I don't know that I would have graduated. So because I figured out where they kept the tests in the school. And I was, grew up in a rural community on a cattle ranch. And then when I left halfway through my senior year, Luckily, I had enough credits. I have no idea how I pulled that off. I didn't engineer it, but I went to the to oil fields of Wyoming and I worked as a welder. And then from there, I went to running heavy equipment, driving truck, uh, working in the mines in northern New Mexico. And when they shut down that project, project in northern New Mexico, my, my wife and infant son were back in Arizona. I would go back and forth, 10-hour drives for 13 shifts. They shut down the project. I had to find another job. And I thought it'd be very easy. And I could not find a job to save my life. It got to the point, got very, very desperate. All our, our money was gone. I needed to find something. I went and I applied for a $10 an hour truck driving job just to haul landscape rocks. So I had something coming in so I could at least feed my family. And I got turned down for that that one as well for the same reason as all the others because I was they kept saying overqualified. I was 23 year old, years old. I didn't understand this word overqualified. You can either do the job or you can't. Now I'm a business owner and I understand it a little bit better. Well, I remember getting in my truck. I'm wiping tears from my face. You're driving down the road. And I had a coupon for free diapers. I couldn't even afford diapers at the time. My wife gave me that as I left to go get diapers for my son because we we're down to our last diaper. So I'm driving to the grocery store. My gas light comes on in my truck. And here's another thing. It's like, man, I have no idea how far I can go with this gas light. So I drove to a gas station that was right outside the grocery store. I pulled up to a pump. I ran my debit card because I didn't have any other form of payment. And I got a decline because of my overdrawn account. I rifled through the truck to find a couple of coins. I locked the doors and started walking that parking lot for what seemed like a couple hours till I found enough change to get a couple gallons of gas. Luckily, this was 19, uh, 1997. So gas was cheap, right? And people still carry change. So it made it possible. Well, once I got my gas, when I got my grocery store, I got my diapers. As I'm walking out, I see a face that I recognize. And I tried to avoid him because I felt because of how I felt about myself. He ran me down. He asked me how things were. And I explained what I just explained to you. So let's go to dinner. I'm like, dude, I can't afford dinner. He goes, I have a gift certificate to Red Lobster from a client. There he introduced me to the mortgage industry. So 
By the time I was been talking with him about this, I had no other choice. I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved. My mom bought me some clothes to look somewhat businesslike. I didn't have any of that. And I went in for an interview that they now made me a telemarketer in December of 97. So starting as a telemarketer in this industry and then working my way through all the different markets and the different shifts and the crash and all kinds, there's a lot of, lot of stories and all that. Where now I just had an outfit called Modex reach out to me. They interviewed me on their podcast and they track every loan originators, 1.4 million loan originators between the licensing and registered ones at banks. And I'm ranked in the top 10. I didn't know that until they brought that up. I'm number one in my state of Arizona and I don't do any business in Arizona. It's always south in the Midwest, right? Ohio is one of those states I do a lot of business in. By the grace of God, do I have that? So now I have a team of 30, 32 staff members, including myself. We built an operation where we do everything from the initial phone call to the funding all on my team. I don't deal with anybody else within corporate. We do everything we can to keep making the smoothest, most optimized process we possibly can. Very, very cool. I love that. How just, you know, life has those perfect moments that kind of force you in a direction and a path that you're supposed to go into and hearing your story. It sounds like that's something that happens. So. You've kind of been around this industry forever. And as you've mentioned, you've kind of been through it all and seen kind of all the ebbs and flows of, you know, the real estate market and what this world is like. I want to know kind of where does this real estate world and the mortgage market stand right now? And what does this mean for real estate investors? And I know, you know, we've all seen in the news and here and there and the direction that things are trending and what, you know, factors are impacting where the current market stands. But from your perspective, I would love to hear where you think the mortgage market and the real estate market stands right now and kind of what that means for us and in, in being an investor in this industry. So the thing that I've noticed the most that's kind of tough for the real estate investors is there's a lot of people that have not been around to see the cycles that we've seen. The other thing that they do is they read about cycles. And they say, well, it, all these, these publications that comes that has to do with the markets talk about five to seven-year cycles. But the thing of it is they never really were paying attention during those times or was not, some of them weren't adults yet. Many of them weren't adults yet. And many of them weren't even in this industry or remotely closely tied to it to understand what the cycles look like. So they don't understand that we have nullified those five to seven-year cycles starting 2009. So after the crash of 2008, when you had the Fed jump in and do quantitative easing, and dumped in $1.25 trillion into the, into the markets, creating all this liquidity out of thin air, has literally made, taken the last two cycles, it could have been possibly even the beginning of a third, and wiped out and made it just one long 13-year stretch. Now, they're tapering back, and they're tapering back in a big way. And you also have Japan, China, and Europe that used to invest into our bond pools. And now that they're not investing in our bond pools, that's affecting it as well. So our interest rates went from what were historically ridiculously low, should have never been there, to now levels that are still lower than the average that it was over the last, since 1971. So I have charts that I've tracked the interest rates all the way back to January of 1971. The average interest rate up until 2009 was 9.1% for people buying houses to live in. Then you add in quantitative easing of 2009 until 2022. Now, the average rate in there was right around 4%. Well, you factor that 4% in there you brought down the average to 7.76% for the average homeowner. We're still lower than that in real estate investing. So when people freak out and say, why are the rates so high? My guys, this is not a low rate. This is actually a better interest rate than we've had on the average for the last 50 years. But they're not seeing that they're not because they have never seen these, these things. And now they're like, well, they say rates are going to go down really, really quick. The cycles work like this. My guys, what cycle? We've completely eliminated the cycles. We have never seen in history the outcome of 13 years 
of overprinting money and flooding the markets. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. I'm optimistic in the housing market because we're 5.2 million units short to meet the requirements of the housing demand. But we still don't know what's going to happen because there's enough builders out there that have stopped building and they've slowed down building permits because they're, they're, they're worried about something. They wouldn't do that if we thought, hey, we're 5.2 million uh, units short. We need to keep building because we have the short supply, short supply. We have a problem with supply chain. Those costs are still high. They're coming down a little bit. But as much as supply chain comes down in price, like materials for building, the labor goes up to, to, to meet that, that loss. And now you've not seen a, a drop in price to build. So builders are pulling back. They're not making money. I don't know what's going to happen with housing. And so the thing that we are up against a lot right now for real estate investors is something that's making a comeback that I didn't think would make a comeback, which is the arm loans. And many banks are using these arm loans as a way to lure in clients or lure in, lure in more people to come do deposits with the banks. So it's a loss leader. When you talk to these banking entities, they say, we're going to do these arm loans to drag these people in and get them as depositors. Why do they want them as depositors? How much money are you getting right now, Allison, on your checking account? <laughs> None. <laughs> maybe None. one penny, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe a penny a month if you keep ten grand in there, right? <laughs> right. What about? And and that's that, of course that's 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 a little bit uh, facetious. But what about your savings account? Same thing. Nothing. Same thing. A yeah. Great CD is doing two percent. You know, it's not like it used to be. So if they can sucker you in to come deposit with them, they can give you nothing on your money, but then put that to work. Even in these in these these low rate arms that say six percent, they're making money out of thin air. So it doesn't bother them to do that. They're doing that, but I think these banks, it's a lot of regional banks that are doing that. I think they're setting themselves up for a problem. So what happened in 2008 when the crash happened? There was a lot of people with arms. Then you had these arms that they were paying on, and then interest rates started going up a little bit. And then when the rates were coming back down, people wanted to jump in and refinance, but the housing had dropped so much as far as the value of the homes because the prices, they couldn't refinance. They had to bring money to the table. But it was a tough economic position at that time for them to come up with the money because people are losing their jobs or their jobs were not paying as well. Well, what is the Fed trying to do right now with inflation? They need to curb this inflation. It's record high inflation. And the only time we can go back to see record inflation even remotely close to this was 1981 and 1982 when interest rates were 18% on a house, by the way. Well, if the, the Fed has said they, they can't stop raising the federal fund rate until we start seeing a lot higher unemployment rate. That's one of the key indicators they're looking for is higher unemployment rate to help inflation. Well, how, what is inflation? Inflation is too much money trying chasing too few goods, driving the prices up. So what they have to do is now shrink the money that they created, by the way, to meet the, to lower the demand of the goods that are available. So they need to have a lot more people losing jobs. So when you start stacking all this up, I tell everybody to say, hey, how come you can't get an arm rate? I say, guys, I, I, I'm against it. Warren Buffett himself said the 30-year fixed mortgage is the greatest financial instrument in the history of mankind. Why? He says it's a one-way bet. If you're wrong, all you do is refi. If you're right and the rates continue to go up, you have now protected yourself for 30 years. And what's really, really awesome about a 30-year loan, especially for a real estate investor in a high, high uh, inflation environment like what we have now, is investors get to raise their rents because of inflation, correct? Right now, just, the new numbers just came out. National average is about 9.2% that they're raising rents year over year. Well, does the lender get to raise the payment on the loan because of inflation? Not at all, right? It's 30-year fixed. So I have a calculator. I'm going to give you these numbers so everybody can see this. You can't see it. You guys are just going to hear it. So let's say right now you're a real estate investor. You're getting a 7.625% interest rate. Nothing sexy. Nothing's, nobody likes that, right? And you're getting a purchase price 
of say, let's just say did round numbers, $100,000 with an 80% loan, so $80,000 loan amount. But we're, I'm just going to use an inflation number of 8%, because 8%, we've been above 8% since 2012. Right? If you really want to look at the real rate of inflation, even if the Fed says it's 2% target, we've reached that, it's, it's complete crap, guys. So we're going to run with 8%. You're going to pay on that $80,000. You pay $80,000 principal back. You're going to pay $123,000. $844.60 in interest per total is $203,844.60. Sorry, I'm talking fast, guys. I grew up on a cattle ranch. My dad was an auctioneer. I'm talking slow. Later. I love it. <laughs> so when you recalculate every dollar that leaves your hands at 8% means every month the dollar is worth 0.666% less than it was the month before. It's buying power has shrunk. Anybody who grew up in the 80s, you'd know my mom gave me a dollar in the morning to go pick up milk at the corner store. I'd ride my skateboard. I'd buy a gallon of milk. I'd buy a candy bar and I'd come back and bring her change. That's not possible right now. That tells you what's happened to the dollar. Well, when you recalculate over 30 years, you're making these payments, you may have actually had $203,844 leave your hands, but the value of those dollars over 30 years is $77,168. You paid back less than what you borrowed. Now, here's what's really cool. You got to raise rents. And if you're raising rents at 5%, let's say you bought this house, $100,000 house, you rent it for $1,000 a month. Let's say you're only making $50 a month cash flow. Nobody gets excited about that. But then you raise the rent 5%. Allison, what's 5% of 1,000? Oh, man, you're asking the wrong math person. <laughs> <laughs> so I put you on the spot. Yeah. You're amazed at how many people actually get this wrong because they're put on the spot. And I ask every client when I talk to them, because when somebody like a realtor or a real estate investment specialist sends me a client, I take the client through all of this to understand what we're getting into. So that's 50 bucks. If you charge $1,000 a month rent year one, and then you get uh, raise the rent by 5% year two, that went up by $50. Well, now your cash flow went from 50 bucks to conceivably $100. That's 100% growth in your cash flow. Now, let's say year three, you do the same thing, 5% increase, right? Now you went from 1,050, you got 5% of 1,050. You can see how that growth is starting, right? Well, you're getting double digit compound growth on your cash flow. Do the math, guys, map it out for five years and see what year five looks like. In your six and your seven, you may not be cash flowing at all year one, two, or three, but see what four, five, and six does, and you're locked in for 30 years. Your cost of your expenses stay the same for 30 years. It actually goes down because you're paying less for the dollar value of the dollar while you're raising your rents and outpacing inflation. So as a result of that, you can show the real estate investor that's wiser to take the long-term instrument in the long run than the short-term teaser instrument that might put you in a position where you can't refinance in five years. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, Visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. Are there other factors or other reasons that you're seeing as to why this is still um, a good option for individuals that are interested? When you start looking at the return on it, so let me let me take it backwards just a little bit because I think the real estate industry did, did themselves and did investors a big disservice. When they were selling, selling real estate investments for the last few years, they were selling it on a cash on cash return model. 
Well, so when you're going out based on cash on cash return, the problem with that metric is that you're expecting a person's expecting a certain amount of money every single month and every single year. And then it doesn't meet the so-called cash on cash return metric. They think that they're losing, but they fail to see where the real value in real estate is. To me, that's the sprinkles on top of the Sunday, the cash flow and the cash on cash return. When we start talking about the payoff of the loan, to me, the leverage itself is where the real value is in the deal. I tell every real estate investor, and this is where it gets down to whether or not it's a good deal or not today. And the good deal is deal by deal. It's not generalized, right? You can't just go out and buy anything. So they have two jobs as their CEO of their real estate investment business. They got to find the right people to work with. They'll help them to be successful in their business, to have the experience to share with them. Now, you like to say this thing, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. Great way to learn on the grade school playground, not a good way to learn in real estate. Like I said, I've been doing this for almost 25 years. I do 1,300 transactions a year. I get to see where real real estate investors are screwing up and where they're succeeding. We have a very candid conversation with everybody who's unsure what the next step is to do so that they can make, make a good decision. The next thing is to buy the right business. And the business I mean by is the property itself. It meets two criteria, in my opinion. Well, three. You have to have you know low maintenance costs. You have to buy one that's been really well put together. But you have to make sure to keep you can keep it reasonably rented for the entire time you own it, and you can raise rents on it. If you can do that, Allison, who pays back the mortgage? Yeah, the renter, right? The yeah. Right. <laughs> your tenant pays it back. So let's do some other quick math. You've got your calculator handy. I'm going to have you do this one. This is going to be hopefully not the one that's going to catch you out of, out of, out of the left field. you got an $80,000 loan, and the tenant's going to pay it off by over 30 years. So take $80,000, divide it by 30, and tell me what number you get. So 2666.6666667. So $2,666.67. That's basically what they're giving you every year, right? So your initial investment in this was $20,000. It's 20% down, correct? And let's say it's $6,000 per cost. So it's $26,000. So hit your divide button on that 26666 and then type in $26,000. And then tell me what you get. 0.102538461. So that means you're getting a 10.25% return on your investment. Your initial investment of $26,000 is growing by 10.25% every single year. If you did your job right, which is picking the right property, keep reasonably rented and raising rents. That's it. That alone, just paying off the loan is a 10.25% increase year over year on your initial. And that's just on the initial 26,000, not a compound growth, right? So that's predictable return. Now we also have appreciation. We have tax benefits. Those get to where you can start getting to hundreds of percent returning, depending upon all these these factors. Then you get to the cash flow. Cash on cash return in today's market is going to be very, very lean for the first five years. Well, what does that mean? It means the, 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 the spectators who are really not investors, they're going to leave the field and sit in the stands and watch while you're on the field collecting deals that they're not willing to dig deeper into. And within five years, we will all be made to look like geniuses. It's just a matter of people who are real investors getting in there, understanding the real value of the deal and the cash flow later will come. It's people that are so wrapped up in cash flow, they'll lose. Yeah, and it might take those first couple years till, till you really start seeing that, as you mentioned, which I think is important because, you know, we live in such an instant gratification society that sometimes knowing that something will be, you know, better if you wait another few years, I think is like really important. And, and as you mentioned, one of the keys to being successful at this, for sure. What are some common themes that that you're seeing maybe um, from advising and working with your clients, um, especially in Ohio? And I know you mentioned you do um, some business here in um, the Buckeye State. What are some common themes or common trends that you see arising? 
from your experience and in what you're working in the day-to-day world today? Well, the common themes are always pretty much always the same. That's really not changing. It's everybody wants to know what's my interest rates, what's my costs. They want to know, can I do better if I just go out and find the property myself and I do the rehab myself and all these kind of things and rent it out and manage it myself. And I have to keep reminding people, you need to be the CEO of your real estate investment business. You get need to get the right people in all the other seats. The thing is, you never find a very a successful CEO of any Fortune 500 company or Fortune 100 company be successful because they hired the people that were willing to take minimum wage as their executives. They got the best at what they do to take those positions, and then they take advice from those people to make decisions. They don't do all the work. You know, when I'm talking to a guy who's a dentist, he's like, well, I think I want to do rehabs on houses and rent out, so I'm going to go out there and find a house, and I'm going to rehab it, and then I'm going to try and manage it. Like, dude, you're a dentist. You're, you're not a construction guy. You're not a real estate guy. And you're sure as hell not a property manager. You need to get professionals on your team. And what you'll find out is that when you get a good person in the mortgage side, a good person on the, re, the acquisition, the rehab and the management and the maintenance side, you literally get all this experience for free. I've got 25 years experience. I have team members on my team that have been at this since the 80s. When you stack up my entire 32 staff member team and look at all our experience, we have hundreds of years experience combined in real estate investment work. And we can provide that data to you. And if you get people out there in, in Ohio and the different parts of Ohio I work that have that same kind of experience or realtors that specialize in that, that have their team of people, you literally get all experience for, for nothing. You don't have to pay the 25 years I had to pay. I don't. You don't have the quarter million dollar month salary that I have to pay out to a team to accomplish these things. You get all that all for free. And who cares what the interest rate is? Who cares what your closing costs are because it's bleeding, it's gone, it's in the past, you're moving on, right? And when you lock that in for 30 years, that fixed thing, and we have inflation eroding the dollar, you're never paying it back anyway. So you're really spending a lot of time doing nothing. The other thing that I folks have noticed that people are trying to do that's always a trend is they want to time the market. How the hell can you time the market? I look at that as being, let's just say the star player for the for the uh, for the Buckeyes, right? You've got star player decides, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and I'm going to watch the game intently and I'm going to wait till the perfect time to step on the field to get on the highlight reel. It doesn't work that way. The people on the highlight reel have their ass on the field the whole time. So to time the market perfectly is to be in the market at the right time. And you have to be in the market all the time to be at the right time. That's great. I think that's that's so important. And even when you just think about, you know, realtors who are advising their clients on when to buy or sell a home, it's like, well, I don't know. I want to wait until the market's right. But you're so true. Like, when is that, you know, like, what is that going to be? Is there ever, you know, that perfect time? And that's that's a great bit of advice. I think that's really cool. What do you think real estate investing in this world will look like in the next five to 10 years? I mean, do you think we're going to see any dramatic shifts or anything arising that um, may be new? Or do you think it's just going to kind of, you know, be sorting out through this inflation and through these mortgage rates? What do you think, if you had a crystal ball, what do you what do you think the future of this industry is going to look like? I see there's going to be a great separation, right? There's a lot of people going to get out of the industry because it's going to be very, very tough. There's a lot of people going to walk away from because it's very, very scary. It's no different than watching the stock market. When the stock market is down, people are selling their position because they're scared. That's when you should be going in harder because that's when you, when fortunes are made or when, when things are low and, it, and it's ugly. I also see this big shift in, in the people who listen to what I had to say about, about the fixed rates that are calm and happy about what happens five, six, seven years from now. And then the people that are kicking themselves because they took what was shiny today. Shiny objects have a way of screwing you over. It's just the way it works. Every time you find something cheap, something sexy, something shiny, it always, I've never heard a story where it works out better for you. That's where I see there's going to be a big diversion of people kicking themselves and the people happy with what their choice was. And I hope 
that it's more of one than the other. And I honestly pray I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong about the future. I hope that this doesn't work out where it's negative for these people and that they actually, it works out well for them. So it works out well for them. It still works out well for the people who are doing the 30-year fix. Every year one wins. But I'm afraid that I'm not wrong. Even though there's a lot of people predicting certain things, most of those people doing those predictions are the ones that are doing predictions to benefit themselves. And I learned that early on in my career when people are telling me where to invest and what to do, that most of the advice I got was benefiting them, not benefiting me. It's like paying a, playing a one-sided game of baseball. You're up to bat all the time swinging for the fences, and they're telling you swing for the fences. And every time they catch the ball and you're out, they get a point. And they keep winning and I keep losing. But yet I never get to go out and catch. I'm always the one hitting, and that's my money going out every time. When I flipped it around, I got in a motorcycle accident in 2008, August 8th of 2008, that put me in a wheelchair. It took my memory from me and made it would loop every three minutes, and I had to restart in a business that was obliterated. I started over with zero money again without the ability to think and without the ability to walk. And as a result of that, I wiped all the things clear, all the mistakes from the past that people were preying upon me. And I made a vow at that point that I will never allow somebody to prey upon those who trust me. And I'm going to protect them from those predators. And our industry is full of predators right now. They want them to take these instruments. They want to turn them into their refi business for later. And they don't care about the outcome because it's not their outcome. You never know anymore. And that's just, you know, part of the world that we're living in. And it's in all, you know, all industries, I'm sure, not just exclusive to to our real estate industry. But there is so much that we can still be positive and hopeful about. Right. And I think that's, um, you know, kind of what I want to end the show with and, and maybe really emphasize is the opportunities that are out there for real estate investing. Tell us a little bit about those opportunities, what you're seeing and how this can um, really be a great decision um, for you and your family as we think about building wealth. Well, the greatest opportunity is that there's less people out there looking at what opportunities are there. And they don't know what an opportunity is right now because the so-called opportunity in the past was the cash-on-cash return models that were double-digit returns. Since that's not, and we've oversold that concept, I've been fighting against that concept for about seven years now, that has weeded out a lot of people that get in your way. And so we're not bidding up houses above their real value. You know, and you can negotiate more on, on, on costs, you know, putting money towards your closing costs and things like that with these sellers, and you can get better deals. So there's a lot more deals out there. It's going to be harder. It is going to be a little harder, but I'm trying to make it easier with the tools that I have. You can go to your app store right now and go to the QJO investment tool. It's the app I had created with the calculator that will tell you about inflation. And you can go to my, go to my Instagram page. I'm SGOC underscore Aaron. And you can look. There's a, there's a, a quick little clip on how to use the calculator. And, what, and I call it the QJO investment tool because it's the quit jerking off investment tool is what I call it because that's what people are doing when they're running around looking for an interest rate or an arm when the best thing they can possibly do is lock in for 30 years. I'm trying to give them the tools to be able to be successful in that, give them the ideas, the philosophy, the thought process. And I got tons of experience. If you face a question you've never faced before, you face the decision you've never faced before, contact me. Let's have a conversation. My, my, I have a staff member that's all she does is set up my appointments. And we will be able to give you practical data to make decisions with, not speculation and theory. We're in the battle with you. And if you lose, I start to lose. And I, I am violently oppose failure. And is that the best way um, for individuals to get in touch with you, Aaron? Is it is through your social media or your website? Or what's the best way for people to connect with you? The best way is my website, AaronChapman.com. If you can't find it, Aaron B. Chapman works because sometimes depending on your browser or just Google Aaron Chapman, you'll find the only bald bearded redneck lender out there. There's, <laughs> the rest of the Aaron Chapmans on Google, you see is a pastor, a author, a British soccer player, and then there's one <laughs> redneck lender. So go to that guy, go to my website, go to your, everybody, just go to your app store and get that tool. It definitely changes your perspective 
make an appointment, we can talk. I'd be more than happy to spend a half hour really doing a deep dive on each individual's thought process and how we can help them. Yeah, super, super uh, great tool out there. I definitely going to take a look at it too. So Aaron, this was so fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today and for sharing a little bit about your world and your perspective. Um, I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners will too. Thank you, Austin. I appreciate the time. And thank you guys all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.